So we often ask a why question relating to God, theology, uh, life. We try and unpack a particular passage. Uh, we've asked the why question around uh, baptism, around mission, um, around eldership, leadership. And we've done that over the last uh, year or so. Uh, this morning, the title of our message is a question, why lukewarm? Okay, so why lukewarm? And uh, what I mean by that title uh, is this. For those of us who would call ourselves followers of Jesus today, Christians, why do we each have a potential in our lives to be lukewarm? Okay. Uh, now, if you have yet to become a follower of Jesus, for those of us who are still in this sort of initial stage, trying to work out what it means to be a Christian, trying to understand more of who God is, uh, do not think to yourself this morning that this message is not for you. Um, nothing could be further from the truth. This message is for all of us. It applies to all of us. When we understand this passage, we understand more of God. And if we understand more of God, then it will help every single person who's here uh, today. Um, if you don't understand what I mean by lukewarm, don't worry, we're going to take our time uh, to look at that. Um, so we're taking our time this morning to look together at Revelation chapter 3 and verses 14 uh, through to 22. Uh, so let's open up God's Word in this passage. If you have your Bibles, reading from the CSB, Christian Standard Bible. Uh, the words are going to be up on the screen. If you want a paper physical copy, there are some dotted about um, in the space. Um, so we read these words uh, in Revelation, starting in, in verse 14. So Revelation 3, 14. Write to the angel of the church in Laodicea. Thus says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I am going to vomit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have become wealthy and need nothing. And you don't realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich, white clothes so that you may be dressed, and your shameful nakedness not be exposed, and ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be zealous and repent. See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Let me just uh, begin with a word of prayer. Uh, Lord, we, we come before you with open hearts uh, this morning. Uh, we pray that you would just remove any distractions, any discouragements. And Lord, we ask uh, that through your word that you would speak to us. Uh, we dedicate this time to you and we pray, Lord, that we would hear uh, your still small voice in the midst of what we look at, in the midst um, of all of the challenges that this passage faces. So grant us openness and Lord help us to be aware of your grace during this time as well. In Jesus' name, Amen. So as I've said this morning, um, this morning is a standalone message. Next week, uh, TJ will be starting a brand new series uh, called Fruitful. How the Gospel releases you to bear, fruits, to bear the fruits of the Spirit. Um, so we're going to spend the next nine weeks um, after this week looking together at the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit. So love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Uh, and then after that we'll spend the next eight weeks over July and August 
um, looking together at what it means to be a disciple and what it means to make disciples. So we're going to think about our identity as disciples and how that then results in us making disciples. Um, and then after that, we'll be in September, we're going to continue our series in First Corinthians and then it'll be Christmas. So um, we do what we do because we believe that spiritual health uh, is a thing. So we take time to look at all these different topics and we take time to really unpack what God's word says because we honestly believe that spiritual health is a thing. Um, it's possible to be spiritually healthy and it's also possible to be spiritually unhealthy. Um, despite our best attempts at a facade, it's only God who knows who is healthy and who is unhealthy. We can walk in here and we can present ourselves in such a way that we come across as being spiritually healthy, but the reality is only God knows what is going on in our hearts. God knows exactly our motivations, our desires, our priorities. Uh, and this is why we read what we read in verse 14 of our passage in Revelation 3, and it'll be up on the screen for us. Uh, Jesus says, uh, write to the angel of the church in Laodicea, thus says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation, or, or John says this rather. Um, now this is letter number seven uh, of seven churches that are listed in the book of Revelation. So this is a seventh letter and it's widely believed that these seven churches were chosen to receive these letters because of the lessons they would provide for all of the churches during that time um, and also throughout all of church history. So every church that is written to in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, we can learn so many lessons from each of their examples and from each of the different situations that they face. This is why we read in Revelation 2.23 all the churches it applies to all of the churches at that time, but I honestly do believe it applies to us today and to all of the churches in Glasgow, all of the churches throughout the world. The lessons being taught in these churches are lessons for us today. And we see here who it is that has given his assessment of his church in Laodicea. It is the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. So Jesus is more than just this meek and mild figure that we sometimes hear about. He is God himself, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. He is God Almighty, and he has given an assessment on the church in Laodicea. He is the best person to give an assessment of his church. He is the only person who is able to give a correct assessment since his bride is the church. He has complete authority over the church and over our world. Revelation chapter 20 speaks of the final judgment. It speaks of, of those who will be in Christ and those who will be separate from Christ. But the Bible also speaks of another judgment. Um, we will be judged for our works and the focus with this judgment is faithfulness to Christ relating to rewards. So God speaks of this judgment the sheep and the goats, believers and unbelievers, but also for those who have faith in Christ, we will be judged according to our works. When we look back upon our lives, the question that will be asked is, were we doing what we were doing out of a love for God? Was the why behind the what one that really did sought to please him, that sought to put him first? And let me just reiterate, this is not a heaven or hell issue, this particular judgment. This is a rewards issue. A reward will be greater if we have been more faithful to Christ in this lifetime. 
So the first question we all need to ask this morning is, am I in Christ? Do I follow Jesus in my life? Am I choosing to put him first? Do I believe that he died for my sins and that he also rose from the dead? And if I put my faith and trust in him, I can have life and life in all its fullness. So the first question, are you in Christ today? And the second question, if you are in Christ this morning, am I being faithful? Am I being faithful? Let me be clear this morning. Being faithful is not just about not doing what you shouldn't do. And this is what we often think about when it comes to faithfulness. We think, well, I'm avoiding this major sin and that major sin. I'm not doing these crimes or whatever it may be. But it's not just about not doing what we shouldn't be doing. It's equally about doing what it is that you should do. There's, there's actions of omission and actions of commission. The reality this morning is that we will each one day stand before the Amen. The faithful and true witness Every single one of us is going to stand before the originator of God's creation. And he knows exactly, precisely what's been going on in our hearts. You know, one day myself, Paul and TJ will have to give an account for the way in which we led this church. So that, for me, that's real motivation to give my absolute all. When I think of the fact, I'm going to have to stand before a holy God and give an account for how I was pastor within this church. Paul and TJ will have to do the same. One day, you will also have to give an account for how you serve this church. If you call this church your home, you will have to give an account for the ways in which you served, the manner and the measure in which you served. And we will each receive our reward accordingly, a spiritual blessing in eternity. We read of Jesus' assessment of the church in Laodicea, and this is really his diagnosis of the Laodiceans, and it's found in verses 15 through to 17, which will be up on the screen for us. So Jesus says, and it's again, it's this idea of knowledge, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I am going to vomit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have become wealthy and need nothing. And you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked so these are strong words sometimes we have this idea that the Bible is just this nice book but there are so many challenges and the Bible just says it as it is, God speaks through his word and he challenges us in ways that we oftentimes do not hear enough of and the question around all of us is what does it mean to be lukewarm, what is this, this idea of lukewarmness uh, the dictionary definition of lukewarm would be in reference to a food or liquid. So if a food or liquid is lukewarm, then it's shown a little heat. But it can also refer to people's response to a situation. So for example, um, the audience gave a lukewarm reception to the play on Friday night, meaning that there was enthusiasm for what they saw, but it was just a little enthusiasm. There wasn't an amazing response to what it is that they witnessed. And in Revelation... It speaks of lukewarm as being neither hot nor cold. Just kind of somewhere in the middle. Just this kind of beige attitude to life. The Laodiceans are described in a passage as lukewarm in that they are neither hot, they are neither hot for Jesus nor are they cold for Jesus. There's heat but there's little heat. There's enthusiasm but again it's a little enthusiasm. 
for doing the minimum amount possible in terms of being Christian. So we're almost kind of just getting away with it. We're just trying to do the minimum amount so that they can say that they are Christians. And the reason I've chosen this passage this morning is because this is really the sad reality of the church in Scotland. Um, You know, if we have been a Christian for a period of time, then it's highly likely that we have came from a church that has had, at the very least, some level of lukewarmness. And it is highly likely that you yourself have been lukewarm in different moments, in different seasons, in different situations. Now don't misunderstand, I'm not saying that we're all lukewarm. What I'm saying is there's potential. In the context that we're in, we're very much in a Laodicean culture. We have the potential in our hearts to be not hot, not cold, just a little warm towards Christ and towards his cause. The reverse is also true. You know, we are we have moments, we have potential, we have capabilities of doing truly great things for God. We can have moments where we really do experience God's grace and we really do know what it means to have joy in our hearts and to give him our absolute all. You know, if we have faith in Jesus, we can identify to those moments. You know, when I think of who God calls you and I to be, you know, I think of the ladies who have been here for so many years. You know, we started this replant uh, over three and a half years ago, and the ladies who have been a part of this church for so many years effectively handed over the steering wheel to myself and Pauline and a few people who are helping uh, from Caldwood Baptist Church in East Kilbride, which was a church we came from. Now, these remaining seven members were deeply passionate. They were wholeheartedly committed to the life of the church and so clearly, so obviously sacrificial in their service to the church. We saw this when we, our first Sunday, nearly four years ago, we walked in and we just sensed such a passion for God. And you know, they are still deeply passionate, they're still wholeheartedly committed, they're still serving within the life of this church. And as they have handed the baton over to you and I, so to speak, in the last few years, in terms of responsibility within the life of the church, I feel like God is saying to us this morning, Imitate these ladies as they have imitated Christ. Step out of your lukewarm ways and be like each of them. Be someone who is wholeheartedly committed to Jesus and to his bride, the church here in Denison, as they have been wholeheartedly committed to his bride. So that's a challenge for us. As we have seen their example, may we also follow in their footsteps and be sacrificial, be serving in all the different areas that God has called us to serve within the life of the church. You know, being lukewarm is really dangerous because it gives the appearance for all as well. We can present ourselves in a certain way, as I've already said, and be a million miles away from God. We can be somewhere else. We can be thinking about something else. Our priorities are completely separate from God's priorities. And this is why Jesus hates lukewarmness so much. We see just the anger that Jesus has in this passage. It's the hypocrisy of it. As a result of all that Jesus says, he says he's going to vomit us out of his mouth. Because we say in our hearts, I'm rich, I've become wealthy, I need nothing. And yet nothing could be further from the truth. The sad reality as hypocrites for each one of us who are lukewarm is what Jesus then goes on to say in this passage. You are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. 
You know, I share all of this this morning because you live in Scotland in 2019. You live in a culture where the consumer is God and comfort is a goal. And this means that you'll be tempted to be spiritual consumers at Denison Baptist Church. You take, but you do not give. And you'll pursue comfort at the expense of the promise of the comforter, God the Holy Spirit. You know, I was chatting to a leader during the week of a different church in Glasgow and he was, he was telling me as an elder of this church, a group of maybe 10 elders, a, a much bigger church than this, 200 or so, and he could identify in the last 10 years just how much more our culture has become consumeristic. There's just been this take, take, take mentality. And it's resulted in them as a, a church, a healthy church, having to close certain ministries because people arrive on a Sunday but they're not willing to give during the week and be involved in different areas within the life of the church. And it's a real concern for him and it's a concern for every pastor in Scotland and for all the leaders who represent gospel churches in Scotland that the mentality of people, of Christians often, is one of taking and not contributing and investing and serving in different ways. So let us properly, as God's people this morning, diagnose this lukewarmness as it relates to our culture, as it relates to Denison Baptist Church. Francis Chan, eh, one of my heroes, has, he's really written a lot about lukewarmness and he identified eight warning signs that you're lukewarm. And this, this doesn't mean that we're all like this. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying there's potential for us to follow in these steps. And so just identify the ones that you're aware of and, and ask that, that God would do a work in your heart as you identify these areas. So eight signs that you're lukewarm. Number one, you don't really want to be saved from your sin. You don't really want to be saved from your sin. And you only want to be saved from the penalty of your sin. So God is a useful fire escape for you to employ, not a God you worship. Christianity becomes a get out of hell free card. So number one, you don't really want to be saved from your sin. I'm just going to mention these and then just let us think about it. Number two, you're moved by stories of radical Christians, yet you do not do yourself. If what Jesus expects us to do each and every day is called obedience, and yet our interpretation of that is one where we label it as radical. That's like an extreme Christian who has done X, Y, and Z, and yet the Bible says that's obedience. Number three, you think holiness equates to a partly sanitised life. So your focus around being a Christian is around avoiding certain visible obvious sins and around avoiding doing anything that might make you feel uncomfortable for the kingdom. It's this kind of safe Diet Coke version of Christianity. God calls us to live a certain way and yet we kind of just take different bits out of that and choose to go our own way and do our own thing. It's a sanitised version of what the Christian faith is all about. Number four, you rarely share your faith with others, whether that be with your neighbours, co-workers, friends or family. Let me ask a question. When was the last time you shared the gospel with a non-believer? When was the last time you shared the gospel with someone who is heading for an eternity separate from God? Number five, you think about life on earth much more than eternity with Jesus. It's almost like if you were to spend eternity with Jesus, that would ruin your life 
here on earth. A challenge for us. How much do we spend our time with heaven on our mind? How much of us, how many of us are, are excited about the prospect of being with Jesus, being in his presence for billions and billions of years, worshipping him, glorifying him for who he is? Do you think about eternity? Are you excited about the prospect of being with Jesus? And the antidote to that is for us to reflect in passages like verse 20 of Revelation 3, which gives us a picture of what eternity will be like. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. So we will one day sit with Jesus on his throne, just as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. If you are, on, if you are in Christ, you will sit with God on his throne. Get your head around that. I mean, that's, that's just mind-blowing. That we will be with Christ and we will sit on Christ's throne. All the pursuits of the world will suddenly disappear when you have a picture of that lukewarmness will not enter into the equation. When you see, when you carry a vision of God in your life, an eternity with God, then lukewarmness will not come into the equation. You'll choose to pursue him with all that you are. And number six, you love your luxuries and rarely give to the poor in a sacrificial way. So if we have an accurate picture of the gospel, then we understand that we were spiritually poor and God blessed us. God sacrificially through his son gave us so much. And so for us to carry that gospel vision, that will result in vertical blessing. We will choose to live sacrificially. We will be generous with our words, with our, our money, with our time to those who don't know Jesus. You love your luxuries and really give to the poor in a sacrificial way. And number seven, you do not live by faith. Your life is structured in such a way that you do not have to. Uh, David Platt says this, if you're not in a place where you feel desperate for the Spirit of God, then there's no way you're on the front lines of a mission. When we are on the front lines, we feel desperately our need for God's help. So if you feel desperate for God, then you're in the right place. If you feel comfortable this morning, then you're not relying upon God. God has so much more for you. If you live a life of comfort, then you'll not experience God's joy. Desperation results in joy. And finally, number eight, you give God your leftovers. It's very simple, whether it's with finance or time management, your affections, God gets what's left over after living your life pursuing other things that you deem more important. So look warm. It's not nice. Um, I do a lot of my work in coffee shops and in certain places I actually find myself constantly drinking lukewarm tea. Um, and let me be clear, I and only I am to blame for this. Um, I'll buy the tea, I'll drink about two thirds of the tea, but, and because I'm so focused on my work, I'll forget about the cup of tea and then I'll drink it and it's absolutely rank. I don't know if you've ever tried lukewarm tea. It is rotten, it is disgusting. And then there's other places I go to where the tea never gets cold. It's always warm, no matter how long I'm there for. It's just consistently warm. The difference is that in these places where the tea is always warm, I get this amazing thing, it's called a teapot. So the tea is in the teapot and I'm able just to pour the exact amount that I need. And I've got a nice wee china cup as well. Some of you know that place in Denison where you get a nice wee china cup. And now, without turning this into a science lesson, without me sounding like a total tea 
T anorak here. And with this latter example, the tea is warm because it's never far from its source. The tea is hot because it's never far from the pot. Whereas tea completely separate from the tea source that's in a cardboard cup, for example, that's been sitting on a table for an hour or so will go from hot to lukewarm to cold. The longer you're separate from the source of life, the longer you're separate from God himself, the longer you choose not to spend time in God's presence and worship to him and his word and in prayer, the more and more likely you will go from hot to lukewarm and from lukewarm to cold. Which is why Jesus says what he says in verse 18 of our passage, which will be up on the screen for us. I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich, white clothes so that you may be dressed and your shameful nakedness not be exposed and ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. So the solution here is in verse 18. We all have that potential to go independent from God and not spend time every day in God's presence. That results in lukewarmness and Jesus turns up and he offers us a solution and it's found in verse 18. The church in Laodicea was physically rich. Materially, they were prosperous. They had everything they needed. And we are Laodicea in that we live in one of the richest countries in the world. We don't need to worry about our next meal. We have clean running water every single day. We enjoy spending our money on things that we want, not things that we need. And Jesus' response is, do not put your hope in these material things. Instead, put, our, put your hope in him. He offers each one of us this morning gold, white clothes and ointment. Now, gold, white clothes and ointment are pictures of what God blesses us with. Ephesians chapter 1 speaks of all of the spiritual blessings that God pours out upon our lives. The salvation, the knowledge of knowing him, the, the work of the Holy Spirit within our lives. It's a picture of something that is of great value like gold. White clothes speaks of purity. God cleanses us of all sin. We are free to live for Jesus. We don't need to worry about past sins. We can choose today to live for him with all that we are. And ointment. We suddenly see things as they really are. We see God for who he is. We see ourselves. We see our world around us. We suddenly have eyes to see. God offers all these things to us when we turn from our sin and we turn to him. And these physical blessings that we so often prioritise will stop when we die. All these things that we focus on day after day after day, whether it's possessions or holidays or whatever it might be, this will all disappear. It will all stop when we die. And yet, the spiritual blessings continue. They go on and on and on, beyond this life and into the life to come, for all eternity. And Jesus underlines the need for us to pursue God, and in our pursuit of God, to repent. We read in verse 19, As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. And this is a challenge for us this morning. So be zealous. Be zealous. Denison Baptist Church and repent turn from your sin turn to him and then we read these words in verse 20 see I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come into him and eat with him and he with me William Holman Hunt uh, painted the light of the world in 1853 uh, and it depicts 
uh, verse 20. The reality of Christ for you and for me. He knocks on the door of our hearts. He calls you today. And he wants you to invite him in. You know, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, he's knocking. He's knocking today. And if you're a follower of Jesus, he still, he still knocks. He calls you to repent of sins where you do what you shouldn't do. He calls you to repent of those sins where you do not do what you should do. You know, remember, uh, this is written to a church. What are we not doing at Denison Baptist Church? You know, for those of us who don't know Jesus, this is an opportunity for us to respond in faith to him. And for those of us who have faith in Christ today, what are we not doing collectively as a church family that we should be doing? Well, let me share with you something of my heart uh, this morning. Uh, as I think about Denison Baptist Church, as I think about the ways in which we can move forward and grow and know God in a deeper way, you know, my heart's desire is that some of you would decide to be baptised, that you would choose to go into the waters of baptism and declare publicly of all that Christ has done for you. The reality is, delayed obedience is disobedience. God calls us to live a life for him and to make that decision to go into the waters and be baptised. My heart's desire is that we would be more consistent on a Tuesday, on our prayer times, that we would realise the importance of prayer as a church family. Prayer is really the boiler room. It's really where the work happens. God does his stuff during these times of prayer, especially on a Tuesday. I would encourage you to come along 7.30 to 8.30 for one hour to pray, to seek God's face, to ask that God would transform our lives and that God would transform this community. My heart's desire is that we would be on mission through missional communities, that we would make a decision to be a part of a missional community and that we would attend those missional communities every week through that, we would be accountable to one another. As we think of just the challenge of being a witness in contexts where there's so much hostility towards Christ and the Christian faith, it's absolutely essential that we have these gathered communities and that we can share with one another our struggles and our excitements, our blessings and our trials. So, four ways in which you can respond to a lukewarm life. By repenting of your sin and believing in Jesus. Um, by making a decision to be baptised, by committing to our prayer time on a Tuesday, 7.30 to 8.30, by connecting with a missional community. The reality is we're not there yet as a church. There is so much more that we can do. There's so much more that we could be. And yet God's grace is sufficient. I hope you really do hear my heart here. I'm not, you know, lambasting us all and lambasting myself. God's grace is with us. God is here to help us, to give us all that we need to be more faithful and fruitful for him. If we want to see God move in Denison, we first ourselves need to be moved. And we are moved when we are embedded within the community of Denison Baptist Church. You know, if you want to receive prayer for any of that, for any of what I've just mentioned, uh, then do come forward uh, during a time of worship. Um, there's going to be time also to reflect upon Christ's sacrifice. Um, as we sing together, you have time to, to come forward, to come to the table and to remember, to break the bread and to remember Christ's body that was given for you. And as you take that bread, to then dip it into the cup and to reflect on the fact that Christ has died for each one of us. 
Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so we can rejoice in the fact that our sins are forgiven today. So if you have faith in Christ, do come forward and take the bread and drink the cup. And do come forward to receive prayer for any of what I've just talked about. Uh, let me pray and then we're going to respond uh, in a time of worship. Lord, we, we ask that this would be an important time for us as we sing. Lord, we ask that you would use this time to remind us of your faithfulness. Lord, as we have just looked at this table and, and thought about your, your sacrifice, how you gave your absolute all, Lord, I really do sense that you're calling us as a church family to respond, to give our absolute all. As you took up your cross, may we also <clears throat> take up our cross and follow you with all that we are. And so we pray um, that you would use this time in a mighty and precious way uh, to speak to us through song, through your word, and also through the work of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.